Welcome to Off Code, the show where we ignore the cultural codes and have real and intriguing conversations regarding the Black community and ways we can move forward to human flourishing. Hello and welcome to Off Code. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Kevin Briggins, and we have another great episode for you all today. I think this may be the most important episode we've ever done. Uh, we've tackled some big topics, but I think this is one that uh, a lot of people need to hear. And I think it's going to benefit uh, um, people in a, in a great way. So I'm excited. I think you're right. I think you're right. We're going to be talking about um, Blacks and racial violence. So looking at, you know, how are Black people participating in racial violence? Are we participating in racial violence? And then looking at the other side of that, if police brutality, police violence, how are, you know, what are the rates and statistics of police brutality on Black lives? So yeah. today we have Eric Muldrow from Code Red Conversations with us to be able to help thread through some of that going to look at, at some of the myths and what is what are some of the truths that are out there that are not being talked about. I think that coming off of the conversation on systemic racism, I think this is just a good segue into this, Kevin, because most people will most people who uphold the idea of systemic racism and police brutality and that, um, you know, the policing system or the judicial system is just systemically racist would say that, um, you know, black bodies are being plucked off and that, you know, blacks are just targeted and that this is an entirely systemic issue. And so hopefully we can get some clarity into, you know, what all of this is. Is it a systemic issue? Is it not? And Eric is the person to talk to. We all had to be serious because the three of us together. That's it's already been bad. It's already been bad. We've been all here for like, a, what, 45 minutes already? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> So let's go ahead and bring Eric in. Hello. Hey, what's going on, y'all? What's good, man? Hey. Not much, Dave. Thanks for having me. Well, Absolutely. thanks for joining us. We are looking forward to this conversation. Um, and so, first of all, just tell all of our viewers and listeners, who are you? What are you up to? Tell us about your channel and the work that you're doing. Yeah, I'm uh, as as was already mentioned. I'm Eric Muldrow. I am a retired law enforcement officer with over 20 years of experience. Uh, my experience basically ranges from starts from 19 the end of 1992, where I began working as a corrections officer with the Indiana Department of Corrections. There's an article that went around back in the day. And this is around 94 or so when I was working at the prison in Westville Correctional Center, Westville, Indiana. And the article from the, I can't remember the name of the newspaper, but it, it was titled Living Hell at Westville. And it gave the story of a inmate whose, whose uncle or father was a politician. And he talked about the, the utter violence and insanity that he went through while he was, while he was working there. That was a prison that I worked at for about three years. So I cut my teeth in law enforcement there after getting out of the army. In 1995, I moved my family out to Las Vegas. And in 96, I hired on with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, worked at the Clark County Detention Center, the county jail for 10 years. In 2006, I decided I needed a change. So I transferred out to the patrol side of the house where I began working as a police officer on the streets, driving a black and white. 
And I did that all the way up until 2014. Over the last few years, with in light of all the controversy related to law enforcement and police, allegations of police brutality and actual police brutality, I started getting involved in the conversation, having discussions on social media, had a few opportunities to get to speak on a few podcasts and a few radio shows, which led me to ultimately founding Code Red Conversations right here on my YouTube channel. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, but I'm probably most active on, on YouTube where I discuss issues related. The, the channel's broadened a bit more where I discuss a lot of conservative issues from a Christian perspective or a lot of cultural issues from a Christian perspective. But at the heart of Code Red Conversations is addressing issues related to law enforcement and helping us understand these uh, biblically and understanding these just uh, just common sense and even helping people work work their way through the more difficult events that may take place that may not be as, as cut and dry as, mm. oh, that that, looked, that was totally fine. So I, I use my experience as a firearms instructor, active shooter response instructor, defensive tactics instructor, uh, terrorism liaison officer. I use all that experience that I gained over the years to help the average everyday citizen understand why cops do a lot of what they do. Man. That's good, Eric. And um, I mean, I, I consider you kind of, I mean, you are a subject matter expert to the definition of the word, right? Just based on your experience and this topic that comes up so often in our culture because of, you know, certain high profile shootings that the average person doesn't have your level of experience to understand kind of the, 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 the details to what to really look for and understand what that officer is going through in that situation. Right. Um, so from, from your perspective, kind of, kind of tell us what, what is like the biggest misconception you think is out there that people have about police officers and police shootings and brutality and all of that stuff. What is the biggest misconception you think is out there? Yeah, I would say it's pretty much what we were discussing off air was the assumption that, uh, cops are out there hunting black people down. As LeBron James famously said a few uh, years ago, uh, uh. they're hunting us down in the street. We can't go yep. anywhere. That's that is ridiculous. That is the only way to put it. And I, you know, I, I was watching a little bit of your previous video y'all did. Y'all being all nice and stuff like that. I may not be so nice when it comes down to some of these <laughs> issues because there's so much foolishness out there. And when you see it over and over again, and you know that there is an agenda behind it. It just be pissing the brother off. So I may not right. always, I may not necessarily be, you know, all sweet and cuddly. I try, you know, I want to be, you know, I want to honor the Lord. I ain't trying to get ignorant, ignorant, not ignorant, ignorant up here, but I, I might have to. Uh, look, no, no, look, no, no, Bring no, no, look, you see, you see Monique's shirt. We have to do that. So Monique don't go off. Cause we have <laughs> to keep her in check. If we start going there, I mean, ain't no telling where this show will go. I I definitely it it's a a hard work trying to keep it all the way together. But if you go, I am willing to travel that road with you. Okay, somebody got to do it, and I'm here for you. I appreciate that, my sis. I, I do, but I, I think you're you're on like you're you're spot on. It's like you, you have we have to address the buffoonery that mm. is out there and it's like you feel like you can't walk outside your house because you're being hunted but you like 12 feet tall and not to even say that that your height is gonna stop a bullet but 
real like you say this behind cameras you say this behind you know your fenced in property you say this right. behind your bodyguards like where where are they plucking you off at because the last time i was looking at the people who were being shot by police they wasn't sitting up in the mansions mm -hmm. yeah um i think a lot of this is going to come back down to and we're going to talk about it the emotionalism Right. Yes. It, it's not. It's not that it's necessarily rooted in the truth. They have made it to where it plays to our emotions, and to where even a billionaire like LeBron James, who lives the most privileged and best life you can ever think of, feels this way. Right. That's a powerful, powerful tool. Um, but we're going to dive into what are the numbers, what's the reality, and just yeah. look at this thing and say, okay, what's really going on. But let's look at 2019. That's when I put okay. together my police brutality separating fact from fiction presentation. And uh, in 2019, according to the Washington Post, the police killed 999 people. And typically, when people hear those numbers, they're they're like a, 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 appalled. Like, how? What are you talking about? And that number can be shocking to the average everyday person. I get it. But I always tell people. You have to look at this whole situation from a top down, like a 50,000 feet perspective so you can understand what's going on. There's been some there's been uh, research over the years that demonstrates that the police make somewhere in the neighborhood of over 300 million contacts with the public every year. And that's uh, self-initiated stops, calls for service, um, vehicle stops, person stops, whatever they may be. So you're looking at 300 million contacts with the public the police make every year. So, and, and, and there's somewhere in the neighborhood, let me try to, let me look at my numbers here. I think the number is maybe 500,000 to, uh, the, the number is assumed 500,000 to around 2 million police officers in the United States. So if you look at that number of, of officers, making that many interactions with the public, it kind of frames the number, it makes it look a little different. It helps us understand that it's it's really not as bad as people try to make it out to be, that the police are out there running and gunning and shooting and killing everybody. Now, if you'd say back 50 years ago, back in the 60s and 70s, you, there was an argument to be made that the cops were out there killing up folks, not left and right, but dramatically at a dramatically higher rate than it goes down these days. So when you look at it like that, when you see how many contacts the police make, understanding that they kill roughly a thousand people every year. And yes, there are criminals out there. There are people out there who murder thousands. I think in 2022, 2021, uh, somewhere around there, there might've been around 17,000 murders in the United States total. So, if you if you figure how many people are out there committing violent acts, violent acts to where they when they come in contact with law enforcement, they may not want to cooperate. It makes things a little more uh, feasible, a little easier to understand why the cops may kill to the extent that they do. But when we look at so if we understand that, that helps us understand the entire conversation. And again, 2019, uh, 403 of those people, again, according to the Washington Post, uh, 20, 403 of those people that the police killed were white. 250 were black. 
162 Hispanic, 143 were unknown as of when the data came out, and then 41 were other. So when you look at that number right there, you see 250, let's focus on the, the fact that 250 of them were black. And then we the thing that helps us understand this data even more is that according to the Washington Post, a not a a newspaper known for being conservative or anything like that, they said that anywhere from 85 to 90 percent of those shootings, the suspect was in possession of some form of a weapon. 85 to 90 percent of all of these, the suspect had a weapon, whether they were in a vehicle, uncooperative, uh, putting someone else at risk, a knife, a blunt object, a gun, whatever it may be. So all those factors, you never, you don't typically hear that that MSNBC hosts were referencing earlier, and we hopefully will get into as the show progresses. You don't hear them bringing up this information. They say certain terms, they bring up uh, a certain amount of data just to poke and prod and get people angry. You see what they're doing to us? Mm-hmm. This is why I don't tr- this is why I hate the police. This is why I don't trust the police. This is why black folks uh, uh, run or they justify running because they look at how many of us are killing. But yet, okay, well, why did they come in contact with the police in the first place? Why did that officer pull his gun down? Are we waiting for any body cam footage? Of course not. All we have to hear is that uh, black there was a black man with a white cop. And it, uh, even a cop in general nowadays don't even have to be a black, uh, a black, uh, a white cop. It's just a uniform. And it, that's all we have to hear. And we're ass- making assumptions left and right. And typically, as time goes on, we get more information. But by then, the damage has been done. It's already been done. And it's, we've already been indoctrinated to believe that these people are out there hunting us down. And, and we get foolishness like, what LeBron James said and and so many other people believe. And this is why I think having this conversation is important, especially because we're not fully into like election season yet. But right. when election season comes around, one of the things that politicians, some politicians will play on is your skin color and what your skin color means in this nation. And so bearing black skin you're a threat. You're going to be, you know, plucked off by the police. We're going to reform. We're going to do this, this and that because you're black. And so that just continues to roll up this conversation of the police are hunting me down. I'm a victim. I'm not going to, you know, be safe if I get pulled over in a police stop and all that. And so we want to have this conversation now to get the data out there to be ahead of what's coming because we don't want our emotions to be what drives us. We want to be able to think about things in case you are pulled over or you find yourself in, you know, a place where you're having an interaction with a police officer. You can say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. What are my, I know my rights. I know, you know, how to, how to navigate situations. We, I don't need to believe the buffoonery that the media is wanting to send me. And when the media does send you the buffoonery, you can click it off or you can say, you'll be aware of understanding like they're, they're lying. That's not true. So that's that that's yeah. what I think my heart is in, especially in a lot of this conversation and getting ahead of what's come that storm that's going to come because the storm is going to come because somebody is going to be shot by a police. A black person is going to be shot by a police officer like that. We can't we can't prevent that, especially because people have autonomy. 
And so, and sin is real. So if a sinful person comes across a police officer and takes out his gun to shoot a police officer, at the end of the day, that police officer is like, I got to get home to my family. And he shoots the the black guy, it's automatically going to be seen as racist, a modern day lynching, getting everybody into their emotions. Yeah. Or even, be able to or even, even if it's a situation that doesn't look well, let's say the person is unarmed. Mm-hmm. Yep. They pretend as if that's a normal occurrence, a regular. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in 2019, the number of unarmed um, black people that were killed by the police was 20. 20 people through the whole nation for the whole year. I know in 2021, the number is down to 11. So 11 unarmed black people killed by the police. I don't want to hear this is this epidemic of this going on. Here's the thing. And this is something, and Eric, I know you're going to jump in because you said this when you was on um, all the things with us. It's like, let's say you're unarmed. Technically, and we saw this in, um, I want to say Atlanta a couple years ago where that guy was shot in the back. Um, but he had given that police officer a good old beat down. Like his hands were a weapon. I don't know if we're, we're thinking about the fact that sometimes your hand, you might not have a gun, you might not have a knife or things like that, but your hands themselves. And I know, in, I think it's in Tennessee, there was a white police officer who was actually beaten to death. Mm-hmm by a black suspect um because and he he had his gun and so i don't know what happened there but it's like we can't just not remember that our hands and our feet can also be considered weapons so just because you know it was like 11 or 20 or nine, whatever, black people didn't have any weapons and they were killed by police. I also wonder, well, let me let me read the report because was this person also offering a beatdown? Especially is this a man who's offering a beatdown on a, a female police officer? Absolutely. You gotta think about it. Go ahead, um, Eric. Yeah, I would say that that's a factor that is often overlooked. And again, when I was on your other show and we had this conversation, that was one of the points I brought up. Every year, there are like hundreds of people that are killed with via bare hands, and which is why I'm such an advocate of a them revamping the police academies and giving officers greater combative skills, self defense, martial arts, defensive tactics, whatever term you want to use, but giving cops greater physical uh, ability and then holding them to a certain standard. Because I think a lot, I think there's a good degree of that responsibility that falls on the individual officer. And I'm not absolving the citizen from for uh, their responsibility to not try to fight and resist an officer, I'm not. But if an officer has a low level, a low amount of skills, and he gets into a physical altercation with the suspect, he's physically unfit, he can't fight his way out of a wet paper bag, the likelihood that he'll go to deadly force, a higher level of force, increases dramatically. So I think that a lot of agencies, they they typically think that, oh, it's going to cost too much money and uh, or we don't want to be looking like we're teaching these officers how to fight or whatever. But yet you're dealing with the criminal element. You're dealing with people who are out there committing crimes. You get to the point to where you have to use force. In most situations, it's because you have an uncooperative suspect. So give the officer a greater ability to subdue the suspect or the citizen and 
take them into custody without having to escalate to a to deadly force. Make a standard. I, I'm not sure if I want to go with the national standard, especially with the way our current government is, but have a standard in each state where an officer has to maintain a certain level of physical fitness, like mandatory, in order to keep their job. Or if you can't make it mandatory, get, make it very much, uh, make you know, put a lot of incentive behind it. Uh, promotion points, uh, maybe time off, maybe gifts from, you know, I don't know, from some of the local, you know, uh, restaurants. I'm just throwing things out there. Yeah. But if you put, if you increase the ability of the the officer, you can stave off a lot of that nonsense. I was really confident while I was out there on the streets as a cop and working in the prison system. I I had a martial arts background that dated back from when I was like 16 years old all the way up until, I mean, heck, I mean, even now to, to be honest, and I'm retired, I'm 53 years old. And, but my, I, I make sure I stay in the gym even today, even though I'm not even working in that field, I still have that mindset though, as far as that protector mindset. So I stay in the gym, I keep my strength and my cardiovascular conditioning high and I make sure my hands can still work because you never know what you may have may come across. You never know when you got to give up. We never know. We never know. So if I have that mindset and I'm retired, like that's not even my job anymore. But you put, but the average officer, you put on a bulletproof vest, a duty belt that has guns, uh, magazines, handcuffs, pepper spray, a radio. That's your everyday attire when you go to work. And to say that you have a low level, and I know we're kind of getting off topic a bit. But I just I, I try to have balanced conversations when we talk about these things, because I think that there's a lot of things that could be done on one side. But yet, uh, as far as law enforcement, as far as what we can do, what law enforcement can do to to minimize the need for uh, higher levels of force. Let alone the average everyday citizen. But you got people out there constantly telling people that the problem isn't you. The problem is law enforcement. Yeah. And, and they never can come together and say, hey, this is the issue here. We acknowledge we have problems, and I think most police agencies will do that or be honest enough to say, we we know we have issues. We know we have bad apples. But a lot of these uh, so-called leaders in the black community ain't trying to acknowledge nothing because they know that you get a cop out there shooting somebody, that there's a typically a paycheck that's behind it with a lawsuit. And, most, and a lot of agencies will just settle. They won't take it all the way through. Yeah. So that's another issue we're dealing with. Yeah. And I think maybe we need, we might have to have you back on another show because it would be good to talk about ways in which we can improve law enforcement, not just from a training standpoint, but from a community standpoint. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can be a whole nother discussion. Right. Um, for today, though, I know we wanted to get into kind of the interracial violence part. Right. Black on white, white on black. What is the ground truth? Because we're told a lot of things. Um. Mo, do you want to start the video first? Yeah, let's um, let's actually start the let's do the video. Is doing the same lazy, offensive routine. Shootings are young black men killing other young black men. Is that not correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, much more than than what the cops do. Why doesn't anybody talk about that? Well, I mean, uh, why aren't there uh, you know a uh, 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 hundred? giant black celebrities who would have the respect of those people saying, what are you doing to yourselves? Why are you killing each other? 
I mean, I understand to live. This dishonors our community. Come on. Uh, we're better than this. Right. I feel like it's never addressed. How many racist tropes? <laughs> All right, real quick. I want everyone to pay attention to what Bill Maher actually said. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't think it's addressed, but his primary focus was what? Hundred, why aren't there hundreds of black celebrities? Yeah. yeah. Keep that in mind while you listen to the rest of that this video. Uh, while you listen to this um, gentleman from MSNBC give his response. You can let it, you can let it uh, flow, please. Thank you. How many racist tropes can you fit into one Bill Maher clip? First off, Chicago, really? I mean, it's the predictable go-to criminal dystopia for right-wingers, but that's not the reality. Chicago isn't even in the top 10 or top 20 deadliest cities in America. It ranks below cities in red states like Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Columbus, Georgia. And yet Chicago, with its majority-minority population and its progressive... All right. Notice notice the, the dodge here. Mm-hmm. Let, let me, I, while watching this video, like I said, I did my research. I took notes. We have somewhere in the neighborhood of, where, where, where do I have this here? There are 19,495 incorporated cities, towns, villages in the United States. This is per the World Population Review website. 19,000, almost 20,000. And where Chicago listed? 28. That ain't a good place to be. <laughs> it's also misleading, though. What's that? It's also misleading. Very much so, because uh, per capita rate, per capita of murders in Chicago in 2022, where he got his information, there were it was 18.26 murders per 100,000. So you're talking about, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, last year they had 630 homicides. Uh, uh, in in the midst of 2,600 shootings. But yet he's deflecting and trying to make it seem like Chicago ain't that bad. That's basically what he's saying. Because this is what it is. The reason you don't see Chicago, New York, Baltimore, the reason you don't see those cities on there because they're such large cities. Mm-hmm. So they can have a lot of murders, but their rate be really low per 100,000 because there's so many millions of people that live there. Excellent. Right? So... That's why it's misleading to try to do this per 100,000 talking about rate, because the minute you go to cities with most, most murders, Chicago is number one, right? It has the most murders of any city in the country. And so it's misleading to say it's not one of the top 20 deadliest cities because they're misleading you with the data, mm, right? Good point. You know, and that's why I hate this, this talk about rate instead of looking at actual hard numbers because- right. Because this is the thing, Chicago is a large city, the third largest city in the country. But we know those murders are concentrated into certain areas. And so when you have 700 murders within a handful of neighborhoods, that is a horrible thing, right? It it shows the impact of it because it's not spread out over the whole city for the most part. It's mainly South Chicago and West Chicago is where the murders typically happen. And who's who's getting gunned down? It it is typically in the black community. Right. Yeah. Who's getting gunned down? So yeah. you can put, you can throw these numbers out there, like you said, the rates to deceive and to dodge and to deflect, and but in re- when you're faced with the reality of what really goes down, you, there's really no argument to be had. And there was another thing that he did. He said these red states, 
Mm -hmm. It went broader and talked about states that are red. But if you look at the local governments, they're all blue. The vast majority of these cities that we're talking about, what are you going to see? Yeah. Inner city. Yeah. Black folks, uh, high Hispanic population in certain cities as well. Mm -hmm. But primarily, you're going to see black folks living there in a predominant, in a higher percentage, especially just like you said, when we're dealing with like Chicago, when you're dealing with uh, uh, South Side, when you're dealing with all the violence that goes on there, cities like Baltimore, Maryland, cities like Philadelphia. Uh, yeah. That's what you're dealing with. And again, you you see, that's why I, I was like, I'm, okay, I'm going to try to restrain from raising my hand while the video is going. <laughs> but you, there's so much distortion and there's so much intentional deception going on. I, it, yeah. it really makes me mad. I because, mean, the fact that he would mention Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I mean, that's what a University of Alabama is. <laughs> it is small. So right. you can have a handful of murders and per 100,000 be really high because it's such a low population. It's just a misleading stat. Very much so. You know? <laughs> it's just um, deception, man. They're, they're intentionally trying to, to, to deceive. Either he's ignorant and doesn't know, or he's being or he's willfully trying to deceive people. And yeah. that's the part that really uh, gets me upset. But I'm ready to roll. I'm ready. You can right, let's go. Let's move on to the video. Minority minority population and its progressive black mayor-elect is the place that people like Bill Maher always want to talk about and fearmonger about. Wonder why. Second, the whole black people killing other black people, black on black crime. Are you kidding me? White people kill other white people at almost the same rate that black people kill other black people. And yet you never hear anyone complaining on TV about white on white crime. So these aren't points of sage wisdom from Ma. They're classic racist dog whistles. Finally, there's Ma's canard why don't prominent black people speak out against black violence like, say, Marr and his guest, the black conservative economist and podcaster Glenn Lowry? I feel like it's never addressed, he says in that clip. Well, aside from the typical double standards, aside from the why don't white leaders speak out against white child sex offenders or white serial killers or white domestic terrorists, it's demonstrably and offensively wrong to suggest that black public figures aren't trying to tackle or condemn gun violence. Many have done so here on this show. I mean, does Bill Maher not know any black... Again, his main point, and we'll get into the numbers. We'll get into, trust me, we will address, because I have another, I have a, some more documentation where we will get into the numbers as far as black violence, black on black violence, black on white violence, white on black violence. We're going to get to the facts of all this. Yeah. But again, Bill Maher's primary emphasis was on celebrities. And look at, so I'm not going to like berate this point long. Look at the people he brings up there. Like honestly, the, 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 some of the people I recognize one dude that he brought up. And that was the one guy. He's like a so-called reverend or pastor. He's the only one I recognize. But when he says celebrities that have the respect of these people, he's talking about people with big names, somebody yeah. who could like a Snoop Dogg, Beyonce, Jay-Z, yeah. where are these yeah. people at? Why, yeah. why aren't they saying something back in, back in our day, brother, back, you know, I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I, back in the eighties, man, self-destruction. You had all these rappers yep. get together and rapping about self-destruction. You talk about like cool mode D public enemy. Um, you know, some of these youngsters who might be listening, yeah. I know who I'm talking about. Heavy D Dougie fresh. And yep. these were heavyweights in the hip hop community at the time. Yeah. Heavyweights in the hip hop community 
who made who came together, KRS One came together yep. and they made a rap telling black folks to stop killing each other. Yep. And then in the nineties, if I'm not mistaken, on the West Coast, NWA, um uh, Hammer even, MC Hammer, um, Michelle A, they all, okay. all these people got together basically did the same thing. Saying yeah. stop killing each other. But yeah. now that's out of vogue now. Now you say that you're a sellout. Now you say that you're talking about white points that the white man is trying to bring up. So it, uh, excuse my language, but it's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you if you don't talk about if you're white and you don't talk about issues related to uh, if if you if you don't talk about issues related to race in the black community, then you don't care about black folks. But if you do bring it up, oh, you're trying to deflect and you're trying to uh, deflect the conversation where the conversation needs to be, which is on white supremacy. You can't win. Yep. No, you can't. And let's be real. Let's be real. We finna break down and kind of destroy his whole narrative. So we know all most violence is interracial, right? Mm-hmm. Because you typically going to the violence is going to happen towards people you're nearest, right? So Absolutely. most violence is interracial. But why is black on black crime brought up, but white on white crime is not? Because black on black crime is brought up because of the emphasis that is placed on white on black crime. Mm. Right. And so there's this he would say, you know, why don't we talk about this? Why don't we talk about that? But they put so much emphasis on white on black crime, which is the way lesser of the crime data, which we're going to get into. Oh, yeah. And so it's like, why is there this outrage? Why is there these reverence? Why is there BLM? Why is there marching, protesting, burning down for the lesser and almost silence on the greater? Because black people are murdering each other at ridiculous rates in the streets. And yet there's no protest. And and he's going to talk about, you know, stop the violence marches. Three people and one news camera show up to that. Like that is not a major event, right? We're talking about where are the major news stories? Where are the major celebrities? Where are people really speaking out on these issues? That's what BMR is saying. Not some local chapter of stop the violence or moms against violence. We know those things exist, but they get no traction. It's not anything anybody really cares about. They don't make a difference because the people in the street that are doing the violence don't care about what they have to say. But if you had major celebrities like LeBron James, people within sports and entertainment, Jay-Z, all these come out and say, yo, look, we got to stop the violence. We got to stop murdering each other. If black lives matter, they got to matter to us first. Right. Mm -hmm. Nobody says that. Um, And so the reason black on black crime is brought up is because of this hyper, hyper attention that is paid to white on black. Right. And so the obvious question is, why did you get outraged at the lesser and you're almost silent at the greater? It's common. That is what, man. Yeah. And that is what the question, that's why black on black, black on black crime is brought up. If, if white people were constantly claiming that black people were violent towards them and killing them and it was this great epidemic and we need to do something and they were marching in the streets about black violence on whites but then they were completely silent about the 90, 95% of violence that happens interracially that leads to thousands of murders. We'd be like, why are you silent on this? Right. That question would come up. 
But that's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with white, we're dealing with the national media and black leadership focusing on white, on black murders while basically ignoring the elephant in the room of the Chicago's, the Baltimore's, the Birmingham's, the St. East St. Louis, you know, these places we know you don't want to go, you know, New Orleans, like these cities that are just gang violence, murders. This past weekend, Memorial Day weekend was a three day weekend. Chicago had 53 shootings and 11 murders Mm. in one weekend. Like there's no, there's nobody on, on social media talking about that. There's no black lives matter. There's no, no, the president hasn't made a statement. There's just nothing, you know, he knows it's taboo. He knows that's career. He knows that's potentially career political suicide for him. I mean, even though, uh, Joe Biden has basically been Teflon Don himself over the last uh, 40 plus years, man can get do basically whatever. Because he says all the right talking points. Yes. When he went to that black college just a few weeks ago and uh yes. you know and spoke what I know where you're going. Up? White he, supremacy yeah. is white the biggest supremacy. Yes. Bring, bring it up. Everybody started clapping. You had some people like, man, I, this dude don't care about us. He, it sounds good and all that kind of stuff. But the vast majority of people were hung on his every word, most likely, because White supremacy, that's all you have to do to get black folks' attention. Election season or white supremacy or reparations or we're going to we'll take good care of you and yeah. then we'll, we'll listen. And you see what's happening in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Off topic slightly, slightly, but you see the emphasis was on when they they were all about Im, uh, illegal immigration. We're, we're, bring them here. Ooh, yeah. We're all about it. But as soon as they started seeing the impact that it had on their community, when they start taking care of these illegal people who don't have a right to be here, they, uh, as far as the vast majority who are coming in against the law, when you have people waiting in line trying to do it the right way, who get mm-hmm. superseded, who get overlooked, when you're dealing with that issue and you have now these uh, Chicagoans who voted for these politicians who support these things, now they're starting to see how it's impacting their community. Now they're starting to say, we don't know who this person is moving across the street from us. We don't know what their background is. And our kids are out there playing. Then it came home and yep. people start to see the reality of some of these po- uh, policies. I always say Democrats, they, they talk, uh, their, their main talking point is emotion. And the fact that they, it comes across like they care, but yep. when you see their policies come to light, it's death, destruction. Their policies are murderous. And I'm yeah. not even talking about the clear, obvious abortion issue. Their policies cause people to die. Period. Yeah. And, and I'll say this. I'll say this. It's, it's, Go ahead. Yeah, it seems unrelated, but it is related. And it's related because what we're really talking about in this episode is narratives. Mm. Right. And so when I saw the Chicago situation and the people, the black, you know, residents is just having a fit, going off at these town hall meetings complaining about the illegal immigrant, illegal immigrants, uh, complaining about safety concerns, all of those things. My first thought was if this was a white audience, the media would be saying they were xenophobic, they were racist, you know, because these people were espousing the same concerns that let's just say Trump supporters would say, right. you know, all oh, there's dangerous illegal aliens coming across the border. And, and they got told they were racist. They were xenophobes. They were all of this. Now, here it is. The black community in Chicago is saying we don't feel safe with you putting illegal immigrants in our neighborhood. 
And why are you giving resources to people who aren't U.S. citizens? Right. And I'm like, all of those people might as well be wearing MAGA hats right now. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But my, my issue was that, or the point is how the narrative changes based on the skin color of the people. Mm. And that's really what we're talking about when it comes to shootings, when it comes to violence, or whether it's illegal immigration, it is the way it is handled and the narrative that is driven and presented by it. Um, And that's what we want people to see and take away from this. So we can go and, and, and finish the video and then we can kind of really get into kind of interracial violence. Yeah, I'll stop uh, chiming in. And, and another thing, when it came down to that uh, in Chicago, your people had signs saying build a wall. Yes. People had signs saying build a wall. Man, when I saw that, I died laughing, man. I said, people have been saying that for years, but you, you hit right on the head. If that had been a white audience, man, the media would have been railing against those folks. Yep. family, I wanted to take a minute and talk to you about Birmingham Theological Seminary. It's my seminary and it's a place that I extremely appreciate. They have small class sizes, very reasonable tuition, and professors who are committed to your education and to my education. If you are looking to extend your theological education and are considering seminary, I encourage you to check out Birmingham Theological Seminary. You can go to BTS dot education for more information all right yeah let's get back to the video many have done so here on this show i mean does bill maher not know any black leaders if he wants to hear from a black public figure about black violence quote unquote why doesn't he i don't know ask them maybe it's because he can just ask glenn lowry who will tell maher what he wants to hear Does Maher even have access to Google, I wonder? Because black leaders have been speaking out and organizing against gun violence in their communities for years. Again, and again, and again, and again. As journalist Michael Harriet said in a Twitter thread responding to the HBO host, when black people are doing something, I never see Bill Maher there. Fox News never shows up at the Stop the Violence March. He's right. That Bill Maher thinks black people aren't addressing gun violence in their communities tells you much more about Bill Maher than it tells you about black people. All right. Yeah. All right. If <laughs> if we can get the, uh, I said the PDF, y'all, we can get pull that up. If we, if we can't, if there's an issue yeah. with that, um, I have some of the information written down. Based on victims' perception of the offenders, the offenders to population ratio shows that the percentage of violent incidents involving black offenders was 2.1 times the percentage of black persons in the population. The percentage of violent incidents involving white offenders, 50%, was about four-fifths, or like not even one like point, uh, not even 1% times the percentage of whites in the population, uh, 62%. While the percentage of violent incidents involving Hispanic offenders, 90%, was similar to the percentage of Hispanics in the population, 17, the percentage of violence violent incidents involving Asian offenders, 1%, was about one-fifth or like 0.2 times the percentage of Asians in the population. Okay, let's go down to the next paragraph. The offender-to-victim ratio... Yeah, the offender-to-victim ratio shows that the percentage of violent incidents involving black offenders, 25%, was over twice, 2.3 times the percentage of incidents committed against 
black victims, 11%. So when we're looking at percentage and we're not looking at rate and things like that, the truth starts to come out. And you can chime in, Kevin, anytime you want to, brother. In, in contrast, the percentage of incidents involving white offenders, 50%, was four-fifths of 0.8. Uh, the percentage of incidents committed against whites, 62%. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll stop. I don't know if you yeah. want to comment. No, let, let, me, let me try to explain that first paragraph in kind of a, a layman's term so people can understand what it's saying. Right. All it's saying is white people in terms of violent crime are underrepresented in committing violent crime. So they're 62% of the population, but they only account for 50% of violent crime. Whereas black folks- Whereas blacks are 12% of the population, but yet we commit 25% of the violent crime. And so we're overly represented uh, to our population. Hispanics are about even to their population and Asians were less than their population right? in terms of the percentage of violent crime. That's again, really what it's saying. And again, these numbers aren't, and this is, and this is another point I want to make. These, this isn't the FBI just saying these are these numbers or a bunch of cops. This information is gathered from the national crime victim witness survey. Victims and witnesses are giving their testimony, giving their information. And this is where this data is being collected. from. And yeah. we, and as long as we continue, and this is, we haven't even, I mean, we haven't even gotten to the, the really ugly data. This is just touching on it a little bit. The stuff that I'm I'm about to discuss goes way deeper and is way more tragic. And this is what is often hidden from the black community. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Go ahead, bro. Now, so I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead and get to the deeper stuff, right? Okay. Because, no, we've been going for a minute. So let's go ahead. Let's get to this deeper stuff and let's see. Let's see the ugly. I will say there's been a uh, image going around on Twitter as a meme, and it shows the interracial violence stats in a bar graph. And one thing that is obvious on the bar graph is that the lowest category is white on black crime. And yet in the, in the meme, there's a television camera that is zoomed in only on the white on black category. Yes. And it's yes. representative of what the news does. And so when the news focus, when the media focuses on that particular category, on those particular news stories, they give a false perception that that is the largest category or that's what's happening all the time. Right. If you zoom out and look at all the categories, you will realize that white on black crime is actually the lowest of all of the interracial categories in crime. Yeah, it's like it's like it's not even close. Yeah. And so I just wanted to talk about that before we got into, you know, your chart. Cause I think your chart's probably gonna represent some of the same type of yeah, data. Based on victims percentage, about one point seven million violent incidents in twenty nineteen were committed against white persons by offenders who were white. Three hundred forty six thousand two hundred sixty violent incidents were committed against black persons by offenders who were black. And three hundred and thirty four thousand six hundred violent incidents were committed against Hispanic persons by offenders who were Hispanic. There were 5.3 times. Listen, y'all, there were 5.3 times as many, 5.3 times as many violent incidents committed by black offenders against white victims, 472,570 as were committed by white offenders against black victims, 89,980. 
Yeah. So let, let's pause there. Let's yeah, let's, we got to. So we, we know there are way more white people in the country than black people. Right. So you would think that there would be more crimes of white people against black people. If common sense, especially you would think if we that, really... if we were just saying all things are equal, but what we're seeing yeah. is the opposite. There are over 470,000 incidents of violent acts of blacks against whites. And yet only 89,000 incidents of whites against blacks. Right. But what does the media focus on? It focus on one category, right? And that is white violence against blacks. And it gives the perception that that is what is happening more than, than, than not. Um, and that black people, like LeBron James said, black people were being hunted down the streets and all of this, when the reality is there's almost four times as many incidents of black people committing violent acts against Hot white time. people. And we're only 12% of the population. And, and even and it gets even worse than that. When you look at the vast majority of, of individuals committing the violent acts aren't young women. I mean, some. No, it's predominantly, men. predominantly men. men. Predominantly young men out there. So it's even even smaller percentage of the population. And we know this ain't the majority of black folks. We know no. that. I mean, no. we, you, none of us are sitting over here saying that all black people are bad. And and no, but there isn't as long as we continue to ignore the the problem, it will only get worse because it's like a little kid who does wrong. And if you let them get away with it and you never correct them, the, they only get worse. You only get progressively I, this worse. is what I like to explain to people. We know violence is committed by a very small minority in any community, right? Absolutely. Um, but when you have the black community, you have black culture, there's a subculture that we call street culture. Mm. And that subculture, it is what is responsible for the overrepresentation of black people in these categories, no right? It is a certain culture that has a, a violent element to it that doesn't respect life, doesn't respect property, doesn't respect laws. Um, and it kind of lives by its own codes, its own codes of the street per se. That subculture is what we're talking about. No that is the culture that needs to be addressed. And that culture is represented largely through rap music, right? So the, the culture that you see in rap music has been presented, that is not predominant black culture. That is a subculture of the black community. Um, and that, I think that's what people need to understand and realize. Um, and so, no, this isn't because they would say, oh, this is a, a racist dog whistle, right? Mm -hmm. That we're yeah. saying this because you're not supposed to say this, even though it's true. You can't you're not supposed to say it because they have this insecurity that you're going to make racist. You're going to validate the claims of the white supremacists and the racist that say black people are just violent. But that's not what we're saying. This is a very small percentage of the community that isn't even representative of what I would consider the broader black culture. Um, and so just to lay that out there. But to your point and the numbers that you brought, and I've seen these numbers as well, it is about narratives. And when people allow the media narratives, we need to realize the media narrative is there to drive our emotions, to get us to behave and act in a certain way. And that is typically to get us to vote in a certain way, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> that is why, no, that's why Monique started this thing off saying, hey, we know election season's coming up. 
you're going to be hearing some of these things. Right. And so, um, we just wanted, I just wanted to be clear on what it is we're saying and what it is it we're not saying, because we can, we can have these discussions without making people believe that this is somehow indicative of the black community in general, or if you see a black person, you need to be concerned or scared. No, that's not what it is. This is a criminal element, a violent element of the black culture, a subculture that kind of goes unchecked and nobody calls it out. And um, I think we'd be better off if we can get people, particularly true black leaders to step up and really call it out. Yeah. And we, and we look at, and again, like back to the, uh, one of my points I was making is when we look at uh, the black culture in general, and especially the, well, I would say a higher, uh, greater percentage, because when we look at the high single parent home rate, yes. when we look at the increased secularization of our society in general, there more it's becoming more and more popular to black atheists. Yeah. And when we're looking at the impact that that has, or th- those, those two factors, I mean, we'll just, we can just like, just mention these two factors alone An increasingly secular, secularized society. I mean, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the, uh, the impact of the sex- sexual revolution, how that still yeah. played such a major role in our society. You know, if we don't, we may not be running around preaching free love, but that's how people are acting. Basically, lay up with somebody. Back in the day, man, when I worked in the uh, county jail, we would take inmates to court, and man, dudes would come in there and they would uh they would have their uh, baby mama come up there and represent them or something like that in court. And the guy would stand up and he would maybe a domestic violence case, whatever it was. He's like, yeah, my, my, my son's mom is here to, you know, rep, give me a, be a character witness. And the judge would be like, well, what's her name? And he says, uh, he said, Riri. And he said, is that her real name? He said, uh, or what's her real name? And the dude said, I don't know. Wow. Man, I'm, I'm sitting up there. I just was like, I just put my head down. And when we got out of the hallway, I said, man, you know, I'm bad. I said, you, I said, that's just embarrassing. I said, yeah. but that, that's kind of, that demonstrates again, this certain subculture. Yes. Within a small percentage of the black community that thinks it, it's cool to lay up and just run the streets and not be responsible, have yeah. multiple babies with multiple mamas out there on the streets. And, and, and then these kids are raised without no true parenting, without the father figure in the home. And it's a cycle. And it's a continual cycle. And and mom, typically, uh, in a a lot of situations, the mom may feel guilty that the dad ain't there. So she kind of lets the kid do a little of the things that he wants to do. And you've got a kid out there ripping and running, doing whatever he wants to do. Gangs become more and more popular. And a lot of times, the gang acts as a father figure type role. It takes that role. 100%. And that's and those are some of the things. And as long as we can reference these issues, and this is why I say that the democratic policies they give the the air of compassion, but in the long run, they're deadly. They yeah. kill black folks. Black yeah. people are the the major ones who fill the graves of democratic policies. Yeah, I, I look. I'm, I'm going to give an example. It happened this week. Um, I don't know if you saw the video of the kid on the school bus that got on to assassinate the other kid. Yeah. And uh, the gun jammed. So mm-hmm. he, he ended up walking off. That kid was 
14 years old and he went on a school bus to assassinate another 14 year old. Right. And they arrested three kids total. What was that? Was that in Chicago? I think it was. I think it was. I can't remember. They arrested three, three kids all on like 14, 15 years old. And the one who got on the bus to, to actually pull the trigger, he was the one who planned it all. He was arrested for another murder as well. He, he no, check this out. He's suspected of killing the sister of one of his buddies he just got arrested with. Wow. So one of the guys he's running with that was in on this trying to access, he killed her. He killed his sister. Mm. Only that type of stuff happens in that context. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's what we're talking. It is a culture that is just lost and that is just depraved. And it, it, it just doesn't respect life. Those kids were raised in a way to where that is normal behavior to them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that is what we need to address. We want to address issues within you know, the nation with terms of the, the black community and what's going on with them. Um, that is where we have to start. Um, and that's what I want us to start focusing on and not getting so distracted by what the media is trying to get us to look at, which isn't even the major problem when it comes to crime, when it comes to not violence, good. it's not even close. Um, so we're, we're about out of time. Uh, we've talked about a lot of issues. What we like to kind of leave on some type of advice or how do we move forward? Like, so from your perspective, how do we, what advice would you give people who are listening to this on how to move forward when these conversations come up or these news reports come up? Is there something you want them to like listen out for or look for or what, what? Yeah. Like, uh, the video, when we were going through the video and I pointed out how there was a lot of deflecting going on, that's the one thing to pay attention to. Pay attention to um, just how the narrative is often shifted and blame is often shifted. Instead, And there's n there's almost no looking in the mirror. So just be careful of that when you're having these conversations. I would suggest that the individual, regardless of what your ethnic uh what ethnic group you belong to, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, whatever it may be, don't be afraid to ad address these issues. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to bring up this data and and share it and talk about it and have honest, open conversations. And don't expect to be able to solve the, the world's issues on social media. Have conversations. If it's a friend you're talking to, invite, go out and have some coffee or sit down and talk to them. And always remember that these are always when at the heart of it all, these are gospel issues. Absolutely. When you look at the the heart of man and know and know how we have a tendency to fall into sin and we naturally want to move away from the things of God, understand that if if we can have if we can frame this conversation biblically, we can address these issues. And if you have someone who's on the other side of the conversation and they don't want to hear anything you have to say, sometimes you just have to let the conversation go. But yeah. don't be afraid. I say this over and over again, especially to uh, my white, our white brothers and sisters out there who oftentimes are afraid to talk about these, these issues because they're concerned about being called a racist. Even black folks who don't want to be called Uncle Tom, sellouts or whatever. Yeah. I get all that, man. I, I hear all that stuff. But I continue to talk. If we truly have compassion and love for one another, love for our brothers and sisters, 
then we will address these issues because we know people are dying. Lives are being lost. And as long as we continue to ignore them, the problem will continue. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think on that word, man, I think we'll close that on that. I think that's a good way to end it. Um, Eric, man, I appreciate you coming and and just hanging out with us and, uh, tell, tell everybody like where they can find you. Again, uh, you can find me on as Eric L. Muldrow on Facebook. I'm very active there, but on YouTube and Instagram under Code Red Conversations, I, I try to put out some consistent, regular content. And uh, man, I, I, just hit me up anywhere. Those are the main site, the main places: Facebook, yeah. Instagram, YouTube, Code Red Conversations. Send me a message; we can talk. All right, man. I appreciate you. And I appreciate your work and. Uh, we definitely got to have you on to have that other conversation we talked about. Yeah, it sounds good, man. I appreciate y'all having me on. All right, man. Appreciate it. Hey. All right, everybody. Well, uh, if you haven't noticed, Mo's been kind of silent because she has some technical difficulties, so she's out. So, But on behalf of Mo and myself and the Center for Biblical Unity, we thank you all for checking us out and listening. Uh, if you'd like to support the B- Center for Biblical Unity, you can go to centerforbiblicalunity.com and um, you can find all types of resources and also ways you can be a part and support the ministry. And so with that, we appreciate you all. And um, until next time.